So welcome everybody to Spiritual Psychotherapy, episode 12. Uh, you know, I know we're, we're a lot in, but uh, each class can almost be like a standalone. So, you know, no matter when you're joining us along this journey, I, th I think it'll be uh, something that benefits you and you enjoy. And um, definitely a lot of stuff that I find very inspiring. So, exactly. How you doing? Fadal, yeah. Fadal, please join. When, when you said, when you said you yeah. did things like a game, I said, I'm with you. Aywa. That's how you, Aywa, yeah, like, how you do it. Come, 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 sit. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so today we're going to do Zohar, but like I, I like to start off with uh, some Eastern stuff. You, no pressure, by the way, if you have somewhere else, really don't worry about it. Um, But I want to start off as always. Hey, how you doing? Um. So I want to start off with, with what's called the snake simile. The snake simile is an idea from some of this Eastern stuff. I found this in uh, the, the diamond that cuts through illusion refers to this. Welcome. So the, there's this idea of all these spiritual teachings, all these meditative traditions that we're trying to connect to. They sound great and they really are great, but they come with some dangers. So I just want to preface with that, and we'll we'll see. So he says, bhikshus, which is a way of talking to students. A person who studies that way can be compared to a man trying to catch a poisonous snake in the wild. So somebody studying all these meditative traditions is like somebody trying to catch a poisonous snake. If he reaches out his hand, the snake may bite his hand, leg, or some other part of his body. Trying to catch a snake that way has no advantages and can only create suffering. So we have to be careful. You know, a lot of people, when they start studying these Eastern things, they say, oh, the ego is that which separates me from God. Therefore, any time where I see my ego coming into the picture, I need to put it down and I need to run away from it. And of course, that could be almost like a poison in a person's life to the degree where people don't even feel comfortable doing anything anymore. Some people don't even feel comfortable being confident anymore because they say, oh, that's just my ego. And they don't realize that that voice doubting their ego is the ego as well. So that's like being bitten by the snake, which was never really intended. But this could be part of what's happening. Part of the unfolding of your spiritual journey could involve you being bitten by the snake. So the warning is don't let that happen. Uh, so he says, pictures understand my teaching in the wrong way uh, is the same. So if you understand the teachings in the wrong way, it's like being bitten by the snake. If you do not practice the Dharma correctly, you may come to understand it as the opposite of what was intended. So meaning it's going to backfire completely on you. But if you practice intelligently, you will understand both the letter and the spirit of the teachings and will be able to explain them correctly. Do not practice just to show off or argue with others. Practice to attain liberation, and if you do, you will have little pain or exhaustion. So the purpose of the practice should be one-pointedly towards being enlightened or being liberated from illusion, from thinking, getting lost in this game. Like I was saying earlier, don't take it too, too seriously. Hey, how you doing? Don't take it too seriously, meaning that if you're getting lost in this world of forms, if you're getting lost in the illusion, you're taking it too seriously, what's that going to result in? It's probably going to result in you feeling like, welcome, by the way, Fadal, if you, I know you're probably going to, yeah, yeah, enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're probably going to end up feeling lost and you're going to be bitten by the snake. We're talking about uh, a, a snake being compared to, uh, you know, taking the teachings of Buddhism in the wrong way, right? So you're going to, you're going to it's going to backfire on you and you're going to be competitive with other people. You're going to be like this holier than thou spirit. And that's not the intention of the teachings. It never was. The purpose of the teachings was to get past that and to attain some kind of liberation. But just know that when you do encounter some of these pitfalls, that's like the snake biting you. But what instead should you do? Bhikshu's an intelligent student of the Dharma is like a man who uses a forked stick to catch a snake. When he sees a poisonous snake in the wild, he places the stick right below the head of the snake and grabs the snake's neck with his hand. Even if the snake winds itself around the man's hand, leg, or another part of his body, it will not bite him. This is the better way to catch a snake and will not lead you to pain or exhaustion. 
In other words, the best way to catch a snake is go right for the head immediately. Don't even think. Just take it. Just do it. Because the more you think about it and the more you pontificate about it, like I sometimes do, like we all do, I guess, sometimes, but what's going to happen is the snake's going to bite you. So this is a warning, and I wish I encountered this years ago, because for me, on my journey, I've had so many spates of being excited about a teaching and sharing it with somebody, and then that person accusing me of like spiritual unupmanship, and that has to do with both of our egos, and it's like it never ends. But once you're aware of this, you realize like the, the Buddha's teachings or whatever these Eastern things, which I always try to say is for me, it's not a religious thing. It's more of like a psychological thing. That's the reason I quote this stuff. It's supposed to help you. It's not supposed to hinder you. But if you do it in the wrong way, it often can hinder you and it will hinder you. Um, I wrote here a little note for myself. Uh, this is a few weeks ago. Life is like a lucid dream. This life is like a lucid dream. And what's the reason that I say that? We know that famous quote, you know, there was this guy Chuang Tzu, we always talk about, he he had this dream that he was a butterfly and he forgot all about this world and he forgot all about his life as being a human being. And then when he woke up, he went back to being Chuang Tzu, he wondered to himself, am I Chuang Tzu dreaming of this butterfly or am I really the butterfly dreaming up that I'm Chuang Tzu? It's all relative. You can never really pin it down what's reality, what's not reality. And we know scientifically your brain is constantly hallucinating this reality into existence. And you can't talk about reality unless you talk about subject and object. The experience that we're having right now is because of the convergence of the observer and the observed. So the attempt to try to divorce those two is totally meaningless and it doesn't really make any sense. But in a, in a way, understanding life as a lucid dream in the mind of God is a very beautiful way of thinking about what is going on right now. Who am I? And what is this reality? So we say from Harambam always, Hashem is the knowledge, the knower, and the known. Another way of saying it that my rabbi in Israel says is God is the dreamer, the dream, and that which is dreamt. God is all of it. God's, God's infinity. So you are included in that. But the best way to think about it is you are, in this moment, what God is dreaming up. And if you want to know who you really are, you can look for that dreamer. But don't, don't mistake it. God is also the dreamt and that which is being, you know, and, and the dreaming itself. Okay, so that's uh, a couple of interesting things on the side there. Um, we'll continue. So what we'd like to do is at the beginning of the class, we do some Eastern stuff, and then we're going to shift gears into the into the Zohar. We were uh, well on our way into the Zohar, but I'll, I'll give you guys a little bit of an introduction. Um, but we're up to right now uh, the beginning of the Dao De Ching towards, uh, you know, the middle of the beginning, I would say. So yes, that, please. Point, you sure, yeah, yeah, 100%. It sounds like what's happening here is that if you, you know, Everyone's trying to meditate in a way so we can uh, remove negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like what it's trying to make us do, again, like you said, psychological, if everything, that's a spiritual thing, is that want us to almost accept these ideas and maybe, like you said, not your ego. I would say, for example, maybe your, your work. For example, maybe you actually think you're really good at what you do. Mm -hmm. So some people look at that as, oh, I'm just being an egotistic. I think I'm going to do it. I don't really deserve a promotion for mm -hmm. the gratification of getting promotion. Mm -hmm. But in reality, if you really think about it, maybe you should be satisfied with your work and, you know, be say like, hey, you know, I was able to accomplish X, Y, Z. I deserve a raise. Well, mm -hmm. For example. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying is partially true because I wouldn't even say that the goal of meditation is to get rid of negative thoughts. I would say it's to just be present with what is. And like what, what always resonates for me when I'm meditating when I notice myself fighting against a negative thought is I imagine a stormy ocean and I remind myself that the best way to calm those stormy waters is not to fight against those waters and not to try to make them more placid, but instead to let themselves run wild and let the storm go and come and then pass. And uh, that's a way of, of, for me thinking about it, but like, yes, like you're saying, whether you're having a negative thought, like I don't deserve this promotion or a positive thought, like, yes, I do deserve this promotion. That's not even the point. The point is just noticing the thought and not identifying with the thought. 
just seeing the thought as within consciousness and you being the conscious observer. Exactly. Don't get lost in the feeling or the thought. That's the way I'd say. But great point. Thank you. Yes. So I think there's a way of appreciating it by noticing it fully. And I think if anything, I've learned that I appreciate things even more when I don't get lost in them too much. But the truth is, yes, sometimes the most pleasurable thing is when you're fully lost in it. But I think one of the, it's, it, I kind of have mixed feelings about it because it almost feels like a sacrifice that you're doing with, with this kind of Buddhist mentality is by putting a separation between yourself and the thought and the feeling, you're not able to get lost in it as much as you used to. And that's part of the process. Because the trade-off is you realize like, wow, you know, just like I don't want to get lost in pleasure, I also don't want to get lost in pain. Because if you do make kind of cut this deal with the devil and say, fine, I'm going to enjoy my pleasure and get lost in it. The opposite end of that is, oh, well, then now you're going to also be much more prone to getting lost in the pain as well. So I wouldn't say numb at all. No, I would say it's a neutral feeling and it's a way of just being present with what is and it not, it's i would say if anything it's not overindulging in the pleasure and it's and you could bring a meditative mindset to any kind of pleasure whatever it is in the world you know and i think that's there's a beauty to that but you feel it out for yourself you know everybody takes it at their own pace uh on this journey so i don't want to you know tell you what to do but that's my personal perspective on it great so without further ado we'll do some Dao de ching and then we'll do the zohar um so we left off last time talking about hold on to the center man was made to sit quietly and find the truth within beautiful line the spirit that never dies is called the mysterious feminine and the reason i love this so much is because we were just talking about in the zohar what is this mysterious feminine in the zohar it's the sefirah of bina bina is like the mother of everything and it's this mysterious feminine although she becomes the whole universe her immaculate purity is never lost. Although she assumes countless forms, her true identity remains intact. So that's incredible. It's something exactly like Bina is the way that this, hey, how you doing? The way that it's being described right now, but Mabruk again, um, the way that it's being described right now is it's this thing that cannot be pinned down and it becomes and assumes countless forms like the lower Sifirot into this creation. That's what Bina is. It's like this undefined mother. The gateway to the mysterious female is called the root of creation. Wow. So once you kind of swim your way up the lower sifirot in a way, you get to that bina, you get to that root of creation, um, which is the, the mysterious female. And, and I think you could think of the lower sifirot as the root leading to whatever this motherly figure is of, of bina. Bina is also known as me, as who in Hebrew, right? We talked about that last time. Listen to her voice. Hear it echo through creation. Without fail, she reveals her presence. Without fail, she brings us to our own perfection. Although it is invisible, it endures. It will never end. So it's about just listening to the, the, what's the vibrations that are going on. However, you, whatever you want to say about it, you want to listen to the reality that's around you. And it's going to reveal itself. It's this thing that somehow is unifying everything. Let's hear a little bit more about it. Heaven is eternal. The earth endures. Why do heaven and earth last forever? They do not live for themselves only. This is the secret of their durability. For this reason, the sage puts himself last and so ends up ahead. He stays a witness to life, so he endures. So that's what we were talking about a second ago, being a witness to life. And when you identify as the witness rather than that which is being witnessed, you have a lot more sturdy uh, presence almost in life. You're not going to be blown about as easily by the winds of change. Um, I, have, uh, I have a great uh, chidush. Yeah, I heard I was listening to Rabbi Joey Dweck's uh, app. He was talking about Tuvishva. I was listening on Tuvishva. And he gives some great context into how what, what is Tuvishva. And he speaks a lot about the trees. And everything mm. that you're saying about this, like, you know, uh, witnessing the generations, let's say, standing firm in the wind, everything that you're saying is very, you can also say about a tree. And they say, just very quickly, I'll tell you, like, what, what, what is the importance of the tree or what, 
they, they say that they compare the tree to the human. But mm. like, why? And he said, the answer is because the tree is like the, the greatest of all of the vege- vegetative, you know, plants and whatever. It's the tallest. It's the mightiest. If you look at grand trees, you know, they're yeah. almost timeless compared to us. And Adam, the person, is the highest um, uh, in the animal kingdom. And so he makes that parallel. I just you know what you're quoting. You know what you're quoting. Are you quoting Tehillim Perik Aleph right now, which is You're going to be like a sturdy tree that is always, you know, being able to drink from these waters. And like we always say, that's a a reference to Bereshit Perik Aleph, talking about the separation of waters, the four rivers, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's. I think that's a perfect. Uh, kind of analogy to exactly what we're talking about. Uh, there's a sturdiness to all of this and a durability. Um, so the sage is the person who puts himself last and ends up ahead. What does that mean? It's a person who, who he's not in it for himself as a separate individual from everything. He doesn't identify as, oh, me and mine and my ego. It's more just about witnessing what is and going with the flow. Let's see, s- serve the needs of others and all your own needs will be fulfilled. Through selfless action, fulfillment is attained. And that's another thing. If you continue to think about yourself in a separate way, you're going to be this island of need all the time. But the more you pour that outwards and the more you give that to others, the more you're going to feel fulfillment and contentment. The supreme good is like water. So, Mickey, listen to this. The supreme good is like water, which we say, we always say, en maim illa Torah, right? There's no, you, you don't hear about water unless you're talking about Torah, wow, which is yeah. all things without trying to. It flows to low places, loathed by all men. Therefore, it is like the Tao. So this is so beautiful because it's saying, it's, what, it's just what's flowing, even to the lowest and lowliest of places, even to the person shooting up heroin on the side of the road. Yeah, the laws of physics that are flowing through his syringe into his veins are still applying. There's no judgment there. It just is. Even evil things, even the sword of the guy going into the guy's neck. That's what it means to be fully enlightened. I'm not saying anything in a value statement of, oh, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't fight heroin addiction. We shouldn't fight war. No, no, no. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying the Tao is that which is flowing through everything without judgment. And that you could call that compassionate just by virtue of a knowledge of how it all is. And that's a motherly presence. That's the divine feminine within it, in a way. Live in accordance with the nature of things in dwelling, be close to the land. In meditation, go deep into the heart. In dealing with others, be gentle and kind. Stand by your word, govern with equity, be timely in choosing the right moment. One who lives in accordance with nature, does not go against the way of things. He moves in harmony with the present moment, always knowing the truth of just what to do. So a person who's always just present with what is, doesn't have to think and doesn't have to constantly be neurotic and doesn't have to constantly plan. Now, I know that that's not so feasible for us today. We want to have time. to. That's fine. Even when you're planning, be present with the planning. Even when you're worrying and fretting, be present with the worrying and the fretting. But ideally, if a person is able to achieve this kind of a, a mindset, they're able to just go along with the flow of what that day is bringing them. And 10 times out of 10, it seems, that's usually going to be something that's uh, pretty damn good. It's going to be something that's going to allow you to be at peace with your surroundings, with other people. One more section, then we'll go to the Zohar. To keep on filling is not as good as stopping. Overfilled, the cupped hands drip. Better to stop pouring. Sharpen a blade too much, and its edge will soon be lost. Fill your house with jade and gold, and it brings insecurity. Puff yourself with honor and pride, and no one can save you from a fall. Retire when the work is done. This is the way of heaven. So that's almost like Shabbat, right? When you finish the work, right? The Midrash says it should be in your eyes like the Melacha is done, even if it's not fully done. It should be like it's done. And then once it's done, once you're in that mindset of it's all finished, that's what it feels like to appreciate what is right now in this moment. 
And that's why we say, Leyom Shekula Shabbat. Alam Haba is like this day, or like this never-ending Shabbat, where it's like, it's all having arrived right now. It's fully that feeling of not no more seeking, no more finding. It's being found. It's having arrived. There's something so beautiful and so kind of tender about that. Having jade and gold gets insecurity. Exactly. You think people are going to steal it? Yeah, basically. The more the more you try to attain and the more you... The more you have, the more possessions, the more worrying you're going to have. Um, so stop trying to overfill yourself. Just be content with what is right now. Um, so I guess we'll save for now the rest of, of this stuff for, for next time. And we'll go without further ado into the Zohar. So we left off last time. Uh, we were being Doresh, a beautiful pasuk about uh, referencing Maaseh Bereshit, the creation. Um, it was a pasuk from Yeshayahu. And we were about to hear a conversation between Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his son, Rabbi Al-Azhar. So Rabbi Al-Azhar was the one who gave us this whole opening thing about Bereshit in the beginning, lift up your eyes and see who created these. That's Yeshayahu. So we'll 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 see now the response of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who of course is like the father of all of this. So what does he say? He says, we'll start with this. Rabbi Shimon said, El Azar, my son, cease your words. Pesok melecha, melech, right? Stop your words so that the concealed mystery on high, unknown to any human, may be revealed. So we, we said last time these words might either mean say your pasuk or cease your words. Stop speaking so that we could understand the, the inflow from the divine. Rebil Azar was silent. So now Rebil Azar, after having given this whole derashah, hears his father say, be silent and let's kind of kind of understand how this mystery is going to reveal itself. Rabbi Shimon wept and paused for a moment. Very beautiful, emphatic point here. He, he was overcome with that emotion. He was having a meditative experience, which is going to lead him to his derasha right now. It wasn't that he was just shutting up his son. He's like, let's, let's arrive right now. Let's try to allow the truth to reveal itself rather than us trying to Dig into the truth. Then he said, El Azar, what is these? What's Ele? If you answer stars and constellations, they are always visible there. And were created by what? Which is, you know, we said last time, what is Shekhinah? As is said, by the word of Yod Kevavke, the heavens were made. So last time we said that it must be that Bina, that, that me, who? as referenced in the Basuk, was the creator of all of the universe. And now we're saying, but that doesn't make sense because we say, the heavens were created with the word of God. And the word of God is referring to Shekhinah for whatever reason. As for things concealed, such would not be referred to as these, for that word indicates something revealed. So Ele wouldn't be talking about something that's hidden like you were maybe trying to say, but rather, Ele is something uh, that's revealed, because Ele is almost like something you could point to, not, and it's something new, not something that's uh, never revealed. This mystery was only revealed one day when I was at the seashore. So he's saying, Rabbi Shimon Bayohai is going to tell us an amazing story now. He was at the beach, and Eliyahu, Eliyahu Hanavi, came and asked me, Rabbi, do you know the meaning of who created these, of me bara ele? Who created these? And we would think, oh, me is talking about Bina, that uh, that Sefira of the, the Divine Mother we were talking about earlier. I answered, these are the heavens and their array, the work of the blessed Holy One. Human beings should contemplate them and bless him, as is written, when I behold your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you set in place, Adonai, Adonenu, Ma'adir Shemcha Bechol Aretz, quoting from uh, Tehillim, Psalms 8, uh, you know, God, our Lord, how majestic is your name throughout the earth? So that whole thing is, is, that, is part of that pasuk from Psalm 8. So let's see, before we go on, 
how we could unpack some of this stuff. So these, in the verse in Yeshayahu, who created these? Uh, the mystical meaning of who has been established. So let's let's explore what Ele means. Um, they're always visible there. So why would the verse say, lift up your eyes, like we said, um, by the word of God? The word of God, as we said, symbolizes Shekhinah, the lowest of the Sefirot, who conveys the divine essence. That's where the divine essence flows into this reality from. Thus, the heavens were made by her, also known as what? Not by Bina. So it's like, which is it? Was the heavens made by Bina, by me? Or by Bidbar Adonai, by the word of God, which symbolizes Shekhinah. And is not Bina. Is it Bina or is it Shekhinah? Um, Eliyahu. So, of course, according to Melachim uh, Bet, Eliyahu didn't die. He was carried off to heaven by a heavenly fire and a chariot. Um, he became associated with the Messianic age and a rabbinic tradition described as still, as still existing, revealing divine secrets to righteous humans. And this is pretty cool. In Kabbalah, mystical experiences are known as revelations of Eliyahu Hanavi. Um, and in some places in the Zohar, Eliyahu turns to the Bishamon for instruction. So Eliyahu Hanavi is asking the Bishamon about Yohai for instruction. Elsewhere, Eliyahu Hanavi is encouraging the Bishamon by Yohai to reveal the secrets to the people or to reveal the secrets in general and says, My words will be written by you. Isn't that amazing? Imagine, imagine experiencing that, that, that Eliyahu Hanavi himself is coming to you and asking you for advice or asking you to reveal these hidden truths. What about the, uh, okay, so now that, that explains that paragraph that we just read. Um, let's continue. Eliyahu said to me, Baruch Haba ID, well, good to see you. Your, your good timing, I think we're up to where we left off last time. Okay, great. Good to so see. We're just saying that that the Bishamon Bar Yochai, who is like basically like the Babe Ruth of the Zohar and Kabbalah, he's, he the, he's the king of Hebijibi. No, he's the king of Hebijibi. That's right, the Sultan of Swat. That's who he is. So it's well, funny. I read I read a page of his Zohar every day. Really? Yeah. Would, so now you'll understand it because we're this is what we're up no, to. No, but I don't. I just read it. I don't understand it, but I read yeah. it. But those they said there's 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 a credit if you read it, one hundred percent. But now the beauty is we're we're actually going to explain it to you. Now you're gonna you're gonna have right. an even more merit, hopefully, right. and you, you got to give me some of that merit too. Um, yeah. so, so, so we have a crazy thing here. We just read that Eliyahu was on the seashore, and sorry that that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was on the seashore, and Eliyahu came to him and asked him, "Do you know the meaning of who created these?" Who created this these heavens? And he quotes him a pasuk from Psalms chapter 8, talking about gazing upon the heavens. So let's see. Elijah said to me, Eliyahu Navi said to the Bishamon Bar Yochai, Rabbi, the word was concealed with the blessed Holy One, and he revealed it in the academy on high. Here it is. So basically this uh, yeshiva shel ma'ala is like the, the, the yeshiva up in heaven where everybody's learning with God. That's the way you could kind of conceive of it. All the Sadiqim are able to learn Torah directly from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Um, so, Rabbi, the word was concealed with the Holy One, and he revealed it in the Academy on High. So that Eliyahu now is going to reveal to the Bishon One Bar Yochai the secret of what he learned in this yeshiva in heaven. When concealed of all concealed, verged on being revealed, it produced at first a single point which ascended to become thought. Within, it drew all drawings, graved all engravings, carving within the concealed holy lamp, a graving of one hidden design, holy of holies, a deep structure emerging from thought called me, who, origin of structure, existent and non-existent, deep and hidden, called by no name, but who. This is probably the most profound part of the Zohar we've encountered so far. So this is really pretty incredible. Uh, first of all, I want you to notice the, the commonality. And I, I don't think that they necessarily knew what the physics were going to be today. But it's amazing that we talk about the singularity of the Big Bang Theory, right? That it all started off with this one point, And from that point, everything emerged. That's literally how Eliyahu Navi is explaining creation to... Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, 
as at first a single point. I think that's pretty incredible that physics found that these religious truths are actually true in reality. That's pretty unbelievable to me. Um, so first of all, what's concealed of all concealed? Either it's talking about the Ensof, infinity, right, which is hovering above all the Sefirot. It's like so far beyond our comprehension. Or Keter, which is the first or quasi-first Sefirah, the most hidden recesses of divinity. So that's like the ultimate mysterious concealed of concealed, hidden of hidden. But we have this single point, the primordial point of Chokhmah. So Chokhmah came from Keter. It's the male element. It's wisdom compared to like the ejaculatory seed that's going to impregnate Bina and create the rest of the Sefirot. Right? So it's the first emanation. And that single point of Chokhmah is like we're saying, almost like that singularity. It drew all drawings. The Sefirot were prefigured within divine thought before they emerged in the process of emanation. So even before the Sefirot were created, they, it's almost like the blueprint for them was already contained within Chokhmah, within wisdom, was already contained all the rest of creation, even before it was created. So now we can talk about time a little bit. Like, obviously, this stuff is beyond time. But I think it's giving you that flavor by saying even before creation, which it's, you can't even talk about before creation because there was no time. But in a way of speaking, before creation, the blueprint for all was, was contained within Chokhmah. And that's part of the mystical experience is out of this moment, you feel the emanation of all other moments, past, present, and future, all seem to emerge and arise from right now. Um, okay. So they were prefigured, and, and you know, it reminds you of uh, they say there's like uh, one of these Midrashim says that God looked at the Torah and then created the world from what he read in the Torah. This is to me exactly that point right you can't take it on its face value you have to understand it on this deep mystical level that in a way when you achieve this mystical point of view you could be in two places at once within space-time or in, in all places at once within space-time and that's what we were talking about at the beginning about the Orha Ganus, the hidden light that a sadiq could look at that light and be in all places all at once all the time everything everywhere all at once like that movie right so I know we're getting a little bit out there, but to me, this is all contained within this very... That's why we're here, Mikey. Yeah, say it again? That's why we're with you, because we want to get out there. I love it, baby. I'm going to take you to the moon and back. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts, right? So <laughs> it's pretty amazing, this stuff. Like, And it's incredible. And this is thousands of years ago, or about wow. a thousand years ago, depending on, you, on who you ask. And this teaching is so deep. Incredible. So I'll, I'll be back in one second. Keep sure, going. No problem. Yeah, yeah. So... Okay, so that's all these divine thoughts were, were contained within it. Now, within it drew all drawings, graved all engravings, carving within the concealed holy lamp, which is Chokhmah, right? Chokhmah is this concealed holy lamp. A graving of one hidden design, holy of holies, a deep structure emerging from thought called me. Who? Origin of structure. So, Bina, in a way, is now consorting with this holy lamp, consorting with Chokhmah to now create structure, create the rest of the emanations in Sefirot. Um, the origin of the structure of the seven lower Sefirot, right? The rest of the Sefirot are going to emerge from Bina due to this interaction between the singularity of Chokhmah with the mother Bina. Got it. Okay. So let's, let's see the next part. Seeking to be revealed, to be named, it garbed itself in a splendid, radiant garment and created Ele, these. Ele attained the name, these letters joined with those, culminating in the name Elohim. Until it created Ele, it did not attain the name Elohim. Based on this mystery, those who sinned with the golden calf said, Ele, these are your gods, O Israel, Ele Elohecha Yisrael. Just as me is combined with Ele, so the name Elohim is constantly polysimous. And we'll see what that means. Through this mystery, 
the universe exists. Wow, this is really unbelievable stuff. So first we're saying, Ele. What's this Ele? Ele is like the, the seven lower sefirot. It's like these. These were created by me. By who? By who? Exactly, by who? It's like an Abed and Castell, but by who? Who is Bina? Um, seeking to be revealed, to be named, it garbed itself in his splendid radiant garment and created Ele. These. So that's what Bina and, and Chokhmah did. They created the, the seven lower sefirot. Uh, Bina emanated the seven lower sefirot, which are less hidden than Bina and therefore referred to as these. Okay. Um, Ele attained the name. These letters joined with those culminating in the name Elohim. So now once Bina created the seven lower sefirot and consequently the rest of the universe, only then did Bina merit the name Elohim. Until it created, right? So what, what does it say here? The letters Ele, these joined with the letters Mi. Right, you take the Ele of the seven lower sefirot and the Mi, who is Bina, to form the divine name Elohim. Ele and Mi makes Elohim. So, what is this saying? Until it created, Bina was not called Elohim until she emanated the lower seven sefirot. Right, so it's like we say in Adon Olam. It's almost like until God created the universe, there was nobody to recognize him in his glory. Even though he was always Elohim, he never merited this name Elohim, or this reputation as Elohim, until he created the universe. So too is it saying here about Binah. Binah did not merit this name Elohim until it was the creator of those Ele. Until Ele become Elohim. Yes, I did. So this is the book I, I, I told you that I, that I read every day, this one here. And it's like 25 years I have this. But this is the book that's amazing. This is the English by Rob Moshe Miller. I wow. I don't know if you have this book, but it's I a, don't. You must yeah. So it says but it says because it's all in English. Yeah, I want to hear. So it says Bina, usually translated as understanding, is the cognizant faculty that develops and articulates the seminal energy of Chokhmah. So the latter becomes known in a detailed conceptual way through Bina. Bina is also the inductive and deductive faculty of understanding one thing from another, thus extending the point of Chokhmah in a multidimensional conceptual system. The Zohar therefore symbolizes Chokhmah and Bina and their relationship as the supernal point within its place. However, Bina is not merely an adjunct to Chokhmah and involves as well the ability to intuit a more inclusive reality than encoded within Chokhmah itself. Wow, ID, that is incredible. I mean, no, no, this you got this. You must have this. Is this blows my mind? I, I, I it's a heavy book, but it breaks down <laughs> everything. And it holds the whole story behind it. So, you see this guy Mickey on, on the screen with you. Mickey uh talked to me earlier this week and told me exactly this idea that that it's like Chokhmah and Bina are equivalent to right brain and left brain. I think you said that ah, Hokma okay. was left brain, Bina was right brain. Right, Mick? Oh, okay. So then, yeah. we, so what is that? Ah, so now that is <laughs> probably the, the conglomeration of the two. I don't know. Honestly, it's whatever oh, it's, you put together. It's one, it's one plus one equals 10. Probably like when you when you're able to go from left to right and then back to the left. That's the, like they say, you look at a, um, let's say you see the number eight written with eights, little, little tiny eights making up the number eight. So the first thing you see is the eight, but then you see, oh, it's all little eights. And then you come back to the big eight. I think that's the dot is the third step. Mm -hmm. There was left brain. So there was right brain seeing the big eight. Then left brain was seeing the smaller eights. And then dot could be like putting it together. Right. Maybe another left brain thing. But but I love I love this. This is it's really the the power of reasoning and understanding. And you know, you talk about the world being created in a way through the human brain having the capacity to perceive it and conceive of it. And you know, when Adam calls all of creation by different names, that has a lot to do with the reality itself. That reality is very much colored by the the way we conceptualize it and conceive of it. And you read like apparently. Uh, Shakespeare talking about uh, 
the ocean that's red like wine. And it's like, what is he talking about? The ocean isn't red like wine. But then you start to realize, you know, in those days, maybe they didn't, some anthropologists believe they didn't have a color blue. And if they didn't have the color blue, then it could be that they didn't perceive the color blue. You have, don't quote me on that too much. Maybe we would have to look into it more. But that's ton of what this is saying is like, Chochman Bina, right. with your brain, create the reality that you know. Because if you didn't have those, you wouldn't know reality itself. You wouldn't know the universe that is without the Chochman and Bina consorting. So, what, was the time, what was the time frame of, uh, of their existence between the Rambam and, and, and Shimon Ben Yuhai? What, yeah. what? So the B Shimon Ben Yuhai is... You know, a uh, an, uh, a Tana, I believe, right? He's uh, no, but he was before or after. When was he? Yeah, so he was about the year, way before. He was like the year from like the year zero to the, to the year two hundred around then. And I then, so also oh, the Rambam. So the Rambam didn't go for this program. So the Rambam is like is is yeah he 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 didn't like most people. He wasn't into the heebie stuff. Right. Exactly. Well, well, he wasn't popularizing the heebie-jeebie but his son is a, a, a known Kabbalist yeah. and he's wrote, written many books on it and really? according to Rabbi Hittery uh, all you need according to Rabbi Hittery and you can ask him for more actual details instead of me speaking for him is that all you need is Haram Bams I think it's just the guide to per, the perplexed the in jammed order up book yeah I call, it, I call it the jammed up book yeah <laughs> <laughs> The, the guy to the perplexed. So how does it, how, let's say, it's a simple snapshot, Michael and Michael, how does the, the, uh, the uh, guy to the perplexed versus Soha, Zaha, what, what, how would you, how would you wait yeah. on either Good one? question. I would say that the Zohar is more mystical in general. And that doesn't mean that Harambam wasn't mystical, but Harambam was much more into, ironically, using Chokmah and Binah, to understand the world and using uh, understanding God through the rational faculty, really mostly through Da'at Hashem, through understanding right. physics and understanding philosophy and understanding through almost like logical proofs about who God is and how God works. Right. Um, that's my monadian. But this stuff is much more mystical, as you obviously can tell. Um, and, and I think they're both beautiful because they're both part of Judaism and they're both part of the conversation. Right. That I don't think either one holds all the truth. I think you need kind of all these different parts of Judaism to really kind of have the whole panoply of human emotion and human experience. Right, right, right. That's my own personal view, but uh, but I'm so glad you're bringing out such great stuff. Um, okay. Great. So now we were saying, Ele. thing I'll add is that uh, Pasuk, that I, I may misquote it, but it's something along the lines like, Either Hanistado or Hanigalo la Hashem or Hashamayim Shamayim la Hashem by Adis Adam. And I feel like this is sort of hiding in the background of what we're talking about, where, you know, if the angels ask Hashem, when is Rosh Chodesh, Hashem will say, I don't know, let's go see what the Jewish people said. Yeah, exactly. Did they see the new moon? Did they, when, did, when did the Jewish people establish Rosh Chodesh? That's when it is, according to me. When is Rosh Hashanah? Based off what they say, etc. The unbelievable dependence almost of the upper realms upon the lower realms. And it's exactly what we're going to see coming up. Exactly what you're saying is going to be that. Uh, we might not get to it today, maybe next class, but it's exactly what you're saying. Um, so we were just saying, Ele, uh, right? So uh, Bina created Ele, created these 11, seven lower sefirot, right? Which are less hidden than Bina, therefore referred to as these. Uh, these letters joined Elohim, right? The Ele and the Me became Elohim. And until it created it, it was not considered uh, Elohim. And then when B'nai Israel sinned at the golden calf, here's a beautiful Hidush. What did B'nai Israel do? What was so grave about their sin? Based on this mystery, those who sinned at the golden calf said, Ele, these are your gods. They separated in a way. Their sin was that they separated the lower, more concrete sefirot. Ele, right? They separate they separated the seven lower sefirot from their mysterious source, Bina, from me, and worship these alone. So when you're when you're trying to cling to something that's more concrete because it's easier for your ego to understand, you're much more prone to separating out the mystery and to de demystifying reality. It's something that a lot of 
ironically, I think a lot of rational people sometimes try to do is they demystify reality. And there's a sadness in that because you're not really doing justice. So a lot of these atheists are doing, I think, exactly this. Forgive me for saying this. I don't want to come off too strong and militant. But I think they're separating the ele from the me. They're separating the seven lower sefirot, and they're saying science and this reality is all that there is. And they're failing to acknowledge the mystery of me, of who? Who is the one that's acknowledging this? Who are you as the observer? Who are you as the subject? You could talk to me for hours and hours and hours about the objects. I'm fine with that. I think science is great. But what is it that breathes the fire into the equations? What is it that's providing for the very existence? Why is there something rather than nothing? They're not answering that. And to me, that's the same thing we were doing at the Golden Calf, uh, worshiping these alone. Um, and then now this very interesting statement here. Uh, just as me is combined with Elis, so the name Elohim is constantly polysimus. Um, through this mystery, the universe exists. So what this means is, uh, the name Elohim refers not only to Bina, but also to Givura and Shekhinah, to two other Sefirot. Um, and Elo, we're going to see in a minute how Elohim is also very much connected to Shekhinah, the, lower, the lowest Sefirah, as well as to angels and human judges. So Palisimus means that it has many, it's, it it's a, it's a, belongs to many different things. It has uh, almost many names, or uh, the name Elohim belongs to many different other names. Um, um, it's a question actually I've had for a while is, why is Hashem's name Elohim uh, Rabim? Uh, I mean, we say Elohai sometimes, but generally in the Torah we see Elohim, and it's like the question is why is it? And it sounds like is it is the answer because it's speaking to different of the uh, many many parts of let's say creation or many parts of the or or is that is that wrong to say? No, I think that I think that very much could be the the Kabbalistic answer. This the shot answer is like it's the royal we. That's something that was done in the ancient world is like talking to the highest, you know, kingship in terms of a we. But that's a very simple answer. The more the deeper answer, I think, is exactly like you're saying that Elohim might be referring to multiple different aspects. And I think the most obvious answer is because Elohim is a term adopted from the Goyim. It just means gods. Mm. That's literally what it means. But the Torah had every interest in showing that. All these seeming other gods are really part of Yod Kevav, really just part of the one God. And the Torah is, oh, Hashem in a way is so humble, he's even willing to call himself by a multiple name, by a plural name, just for the sake of making everybody realize, no, really, it's all connected. Really, they all kind of fall under this umbrella of God, the one God. All right. And so... Yeah. Also, lastly, just uh, so it sounds like in the one of the big things in Hata Egel is that they almost only uh, celebrated the lower Sefirot. They almost made this sort of difference between maybe Binah and the, the rest of the mother and, and the rest of the Sefirot. Exactly. That's exactly what I'd say is that they, they were separating Binah from Ele. And that and that's the problem is that they're not able to connect the mysterious source of all of it to that which is concretely more obvious to them. All right. Even if it's within the realm of the Sifirot, it's still a, a grave sin or really just like missing the mark in a way. Um, and this is a great line here. Through this mystery, the universe exists. That's what they were missing. They were missing the me, the, the who behind all of it. Then Elijah flew off. I did not see him. From him, I discovered the word whose mysterious secret I have demonstrated. And that's amazing because the word here might be, this is my own thoughts, might be hinting at what we said earlier was, which is with the word of God, the world was created. And we said word is another word for Shekhinah. So it could be that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is saying that Eliyahu taught him about the Shekhinah, whatever that means. Uh, and this is the mysterious secret he's demonstrating. Um, and we're going to see a little bit more about the Shekhinah coming up. Um, so what is, I don't even really know what this means. Eliyahu flew off. I did not see him. Maybe it means I didn't see him anymore. But really some mysterious stuff going on behind the scenes. Um, so now listen to this reaction from the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. 
Rabbi Azar, and all the companions came and bowed down in front of him. Weeping, they said, if we have come into the world only to hear this, it is enough. They're saying basically, Dayanu, you know, only to hear this teaching that you just gave about how the Sifirot work and the Ensof and the Keter and the Chokhmah and the Binah getting together and then the seven lower Sifirot and what's Elohim. This was so eye-opening and so amazing. It's making us cry and thank you just for this explanation because this would have been enough of a reason just to be alive right now. Um, similar exclamations appear in rabbinic literature, often in the Zohar, <clears throat> and you can look at, the, at some of these references. So, Rabbi Shimon said, so the heavens and their array were created by Ma. What? Right, and we said earlier, what Ma is Shekhinah? As it is written, when I behold your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you set in place. Ma, how majestic is your name throughout the world. Ma Adishim Your splendor is celebrated above heaven. Above heaven to attain the name. So let's see, first of all, what this is talking about. So Ma, like we said, is Shekhinah. Above heaven refers to Tiferet. Which lies uh, which above which lies Bina. So right below Bina is what's known as Tiferet, which is the center of the Sifirot. So it's saying here above heaven to attain the name. So in order to attain that name of Ma, you have to go above heaven, above Tiferet, which is known as heaven. That's where you're going to be at Ma. You're going to be at Bina whatever that means. So it's now giving a little bit of the structure of the Sifirot. Um, for it created a light for its light, one enclosed in the other, and it attained a high name. Wow, what does this mean? A light within a light and attaining a high name. So in the beginning, Elohim created Elohim above, right? So that's not saying Elohim created Elohim. It's saying Elohim created, comma, Elohim above. So what, let, let's see what this means. Um, in the beginning, Elohim created by emanating the lower Sifirot, a light for its light, Bina attained the name Elohim. So the way that Bina created these lower Sifirot was by creating a light for its light. Very mysterious about what that actually means. You start thinking about the Big Bang and how much light there was there, but I think this is an even deeper thing. Um, so let's... Uh, there, there's this idea that and I don't fully uh, know all the details to it. I, I was reading it. I think it's in the Tanya, um, which is also somewhat, well, whatever, is that within each Sifira, there's all the 10 Sifirot also. Mm. And so inside Bina, Bina is, is or divided in a way, compartmentalized into these 10 parts also. And Absolutely. so there's, let's say the... The Bina, inside Bina, there's Chokhmah. Inside Bina, there's another Bina. Inside Bina, there's uh, uh, Shekhinah, etc. It could be, this is what it's talking about, the light in the light. It had to first maybe deconstruct itself into these ideas and then uh, create a flow. But I, I don't know if that's what it is. But Amazing. No, I think it's exactly true, especially for Bina, because it's the mother of it all. Sorry, I did, yeah? No, it, says, it sounds really nice. No, <laughs> for my book here about Tefere, it says Tefere is compassion, Mm. It said, is the attribute of the soul which blends and harmonizes the two polar opposites of Chesed and Gevurah. Uh, Teferi is also referred to as the attribute of truth, for it depends to some extent on the merit of the merit of the recipients. Nevertheless, ideally, Teferi tends towards Chesed and is therefore known as Rahamim, compassion or mercy. Wow. Teferi corresponds to the Patriarch Yaakov, whatever that means. Yes, exactly. Jacob, Yaakov Avinu. Right. So well, that, amazing. That's that's all contained within Tiferet. And right above Tiferet is Bina, which is the, the creator of all this stuff, right. and, and Elohim. But that's that's a beautiful point because in order for really us to understand what's going to be going on, we're going to get little snippets of, okay, well, what is this thing, uh, Tiferet? And, what, you know, and it has all these connotations and associations with it. Um, so in the beginning, Elohim created uh, uh, Elohim above. Uh, for Ma was not so, right? Right, the Ma, which is Shekhinah, was not yet created, is not composed until these letters, Ele, are drawn from above to below, and mother lends daughter her garments, though not adorning her with her adornments. When does she adorn her fittingly? 
when all males appear before her, as it is as is written, all your males shall appear before the sovereign Yod Kevavke, right? Um, this one is called sovereign, as it is as is said. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant, sovereign of all the earth. Right, so that's going to be referring to Shekhinah, as we'll see in a minute. Then the letter He departs and the Yod enters. We'll see what that means. Something to do with the feminine leaving and the masculine entering. And she adorns herself in masculine clothing. So we're going to see Shekhinah is going to be hermaphroditic. It's going to change from female to male because it's going to accept the, the divine energy coming down. That's the female. But when it pours it out to the physical world, that's the male. In the presence of every male in Israel, we're going to see, like you said earlier, Mickey, that the stuff that's happening on the, heaven, on the heavenly realm is going to depend on what's happening here on the lower realm. And they're taking the Pesukim here of B'nai Israel going to the services to show you how that influences the consorting of the Sefirot. Other letters Israel draws from above to this site, Ele, these I remember, Ele uh, sorry, uh, with my mouth I mentioned them and my yearning, I poured out my tears, drawing forth these letters. Then I conduct them from above to the house of Elohim to be Elohim like him. With what? With joyous shouts of praise and festive throngs. So let's see what all of this is saying. Okay, so by emitting the lower sefirot, a light for its light, Bina attained the name Elohim. That's how it did it. Ma was not so. Shekhinah does not emerge until Bina emanates the seven lower sefirot. So until Bina did that, Shekhinah didn't exist. Only then can Bina, the divine mother, lend her garments to the lower sefirot to her daughter Shekhinah. So we're going to see a, a big ping pong now between Bina and Shekhinah, between, uh, and there's seven sefirot away. So now let's see the Pasuk from the Torah. All your males, all the men have to go during the, the three high holidays, the Shalosh Regalim, to the Mishkan or to the Beit HaMikdash. All Israelite males were commanded to appear in God's temple in Jerusalem three times a year on the pilgrimage festivals, Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. Here the command apply, implies that the masculine power of the Sefirot must be drawn down to Shekhinah, the sovereign. Right? So you have to get all the masculine power all the way down to the Shekhinah. Through the ritual of pilgrimage, Shekhinah is adorned. So in order for that to happen, in order to, for Shekhinah to be filled with that divine light, everybody has to do the Hajj. Everyone has to go to see God in Yerushalayim or by the, the Ark of the Covenant and by the Mishkan. Let's see. How do they prove it? They say, behold, the Ark. What's the Ark? The Ark is the Shekhinah. Right, the Ark is the Shekhinah because Shekhinah is the Ark housing the, the Sefirah of Yesod, right? Why? Because Yesod, which is like the divine phallus, right? Sadiq Yesod, Olam, Yosef, all that stuff. Yesod is the Berit, it's the Luhota Berit, contained within Shekhinah, which is the Ark, which is the Aron. So this is how it's proving to us that the Aron is Shekhinah. The letter Hen leaving signifies the feminine the letter Yod, the masculine. When the masculine powers of the Sifiyot reach Shekhinah, she's transformed from feminine to masculine. From Ma, right, what? To Mi. She takes on the same name as Bina. She is also called Mi now. She's also going to be called Elohim. Shekhinah is going to get that same denomination. Then she rules the world, whatever that means. All right, so the point here is for Bnei Israel. When we do our job down here, somehow that influences Shekhinah being able to rule the world. Shekhinah, God's divine presence, being able to be fully felt in a mas in its masculine form from, from the perspective of up there to down here. Um, Ele, these I remember, Ele is Kera. The verse continues, Right? And pour out my soul, how I walked with the crowd, conducting them to the house of Elohim with joyous shouts of praise, the, the festive throng. With the arrival of these letters, Shekhinah also attains the name of Elohim, me plus Ele. We we're just saying that it now is, is kind of paralleling Bina. So the same way Bina was the mother of all the heavenly sefirot and all these spiritual sefirot, Shekhinah is going to be the mother of all the physical realm. And that's why it's also going to be called me. And it's also going to be called Elohim. But when is that going to happen? Only when we do our job down here and we become 
capable of being recipients, just like Shekhinah itself was a recipient of that divine energy. Here the verse describes both the earthly pilgrimage to the temple and the divine procession of emanation to Shekhinah. The two meanings are linked because, like you said, Meki, the human ritual below stimulates the sefirot above. That's the point, is that it'aruta dil'ila is influenced by it'aruta dil'tata. You have to have the lower rumblings to influence the higher rumblings. Like we say, when it says in the Torah, Moshe Allah, it was like the quote, Moshe was never called up to Arsinah. Instead, it just says Moshe Allah, Moshe went up. Because when you do something down here, it's going to influence what's going on up there. And because Moshe went up physically, he was able to go up spiritually as well. Ah, exactly. <laughs> In a way. Yes. Um, all right, so to be like, like him, with what? With joyous shouts of praise in the festive throngs. It's a very joyous experience when this happens. When the Shekhinah is able to be transformed from feminine to masculine. When we as Bene Israel are able to become that, the recipients for the Shekhinah and for its, for its full power. So we could pause here. We'll just give a, a little cliffhanger here. As I said, my sons assemble the temple above, a temple below. Indeed, a word is worth one coin, silence two. A word is worth one coin, what I said, the meaning I aroused, right? So when Nabil Azai is recognizing, he gave his own derasha, which was beautiful. But silence is worth two coins. It's like worth two temples, the one above and the one below. By holding my silence, two worlds were created, erected as one, because I allowed my father, Nabi Shimon Bar Yochai, to expound and give his own derasha. That was what brought about the creation in our minds and understanding of what these two temples are. Um, and we'll just say very briefly what this means. And by the way, uh, Elohim, to be Elohim, to be like him, Shekhinah will be Elohim like Bina. And there's there's the, this ironic masculine nature of Bina as well, just like Shekhinah has a masculine and a feminine. Bina also kind of has a little bit of a masculine energy to it. The temple above and below. So the temple above is Bina. The one below is Shekhinah. Rab said, whoever engages in Torah for its own sake, it is as if he built the heavenly and earthly palaces. All right, so that's what's going on here is in order for, for the understanding of the Sefirot and their construction to be understood, he had to be silent to understand what his father was saying. On the heavenly and earthly temples, you could see all these things. Abiel Azad's silence stimulated his father to be Shimon to reveal mysteries of two, two realms. He's saying this is a, a proverb that he was quoting. Um, and we could pause there for now, uh, and we'll see next time the continuation of the uh, ex explanations of the Bishop on Body of High. I was really riveted by this content. I hope you guys were as well. And now we'll leave time for some comments, please, if anybody has any. No, it's, it's amazing. As as you dig into Zohar, it just, it just opens up more and more and just more amazing and just... Yeah. It, blow, it really blows, it blows your mind, right? It's it's really unbelievable at the the level of sophistication and the the spiritual messages that you could kind of connect to and understanding how your consciousness shapes your reality in the same way that they're talking yeah. about the way that the sefirot are yeah. shaping reality, and it's very yeah. much. I, I think I think that that I that I'm able to grasp and enjoy it so much because the blueprint is so defined. Like in other words, like you said. It takes you, it walks you through it. Whereas, like with with, my, with Maimonides, although he's the guy, it's a, it's a it's a, no for me. Like I have this other book here on him here, Maimonides. So I, yeah. I read the Zohar versus him, whatever, because they're my two guys, whatever. <laughs> At the end of the day, like he, he talks about here, the guy to perplex. He goes, it's will versus wisdom, mm. in in his concept, and he deal and he. But and and this guy uh, Moshe Albertal, who did yes. from Emanuel, he he, I mean, explains it for me as someone that really you know tries to understand. But with the Zohar, it's sort of the blueprint is 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 like you say the different levels, the different ways, the different connections. It's it's a beautiful thing to understand and follow through, and and really dig into you know. Whereas the guy to perplex is perplexed. That's why it has end or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. I think they're both necessary ingredients for feeling yes. you know, yeah. like a human being and, and appreciating the rational faculty, the mystical yeah. stuff, 
going on for no, us. It's amazing. It's amazing. I love that you're reading both of those. It's amazing. Not yeah. many people say that. I love it. I love it. it was a great class tonight. Really, guys, it was great. I loved it. So happy. Love you guys. I, Always I love you. Have a great week, everybody. And uh, thank you. You too. See you soon, Mikey. Alamak. Soon. Alamak. Bye. Bye. Good night. It's all kind of, it made me think of if you hold a mirror to another mirror and you see inside, inside, mm. inside. So they're, they're like, it never seems to end. And so it's infinite. It's, it's this right. thing that's, that's constantly ping ponging against itself. And that's the way it works with this kind of knowledge of consciousness. Like when you're looking for the one who's looking, it's, it's like a mirror looking into a mirror. I think that's it. I've heard that exact comparison for like, what is it even looking into the eyes of another person? It's like looking at myself, looking at myself, looking at myself, looking at myself. That's the feeling. So keep up the good work, guys. This is unbelievable. Hazak yeah. Baru. Please. Yeah. I think it's I think it's beautiful. Right. But so so here's the thing that gets me. So it starts off as Bina. It's like it's called the ultimate period of the first bina. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is Shekhinah comes at the end. And then we have the ability to bring the Shekhinah back to, or maybe grow it in a sense, almost like a child growing into Bina. Yeah. It grows into Bina, and then it now is able to create Shekhinah, right? In a lot of ways, yeah. It, it almost like, so the first Bina technically can create all of it. Yes, but exactly. But Shekhinah itself, when it elevates to Bina, you now have, let's call it two created. And exactly. And, and one is on the spiritual realm, one is on the physical realm, right? So... Bina is receiving from the higher spiritual realm and giving to the lower spiritual realm. Shekhinah is getting from the lower spiritual realm and giving to the physical realm. But Hazak Baruch, I think this is all good stuff. We'll continue next time. Hazak Baruch.